0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. In this episode, I am talking with Megan Wegg and Tim Buckley. Together, they are the Acrobatic Arts Co-Division Managers for Australia, New Zealand, and Asia. Let's listen to our conversation. Hi, Megan.
1: Hi Tim. Hi,
2: Loren. Hi,
1: Loren. How are both of you doing? Good. It's really nice to be able to hang out with you virtually. Yes. I
0: want to thank you both for speaking with me today. Of course, we will talk about your work with acrobatic arts. But before we do that, why don't you both start telling us a little bit about
1: yourself? I'll start. I grew up in a, an Amish community in farmland in Ontario, and since as long as I can remember, I grew up dreaming to be a Cirque du Soleil performer. And in the small towns that we grew up in, there was nowhere to dance, nowhere to take classes. Uh, So my sister, my oldest sister had a little studio and she taught me since I was little. And then um, it grew and got big. And then I saw Cirque du Soleil on TV and said to my parents, that's what I'm gonna do. (laughs) I didn't say I want to do that. I said, I'm going to do that. The power of positivity. Um, So then moving on, I grew up dancing, ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, acro, taking examinations and competing on a competitive stage all over Ontario. Moved to Montreal when I was accepted to the National Circus School. And back then they only accept 15 worldwide and it was a door open. And you could either take it or leave it. Um, My parents taught me determination, hard work, working ethics, and amazing values from growing up uh, in the country and, and just having... I'm the youngest of five girls and we all were dancing. So it was... I loved it. It was great. Moving forward at the National Circus School, I... Majored in aerial hoop because my dream was to always have a dance partner and I never had one when I was a dancer, so my hoop became my dance partner and uh, my goal was to transition inside underneath and on top as if I was getting lifted or being held by my my partner. Um, so I liked to have that challenge, and my minor at the National Circus School was contortion, learning the art of safely bending and breathing and, and transitioning through um, a bendy dance, which is contortion, and it complemented my aerial work. So I, I really did love it. After graduating I performed worldwide, I got my first ever passport (laughs) to go to Switzerland with uh, an amazing company called The Seven Fingers. And I performed with The Seven Fingers, Cirque Eloise and Cirque du Soleil with Kidam. And um, along my journey, we were in South America and I met Tim and uh, we became best friends and uh, continuing on. We opened our company called Move With The Beat. We founded a dance competition, and the goal was to give um, our new generation the experience of what a professional stage setting is like Cirque du Soleil. So we hired friends who were stage managers, lighting technicians. We had like the real Cirque du Soleil crew with us, and, and the awards we were providing were job opportunities, professional stage gigs, and performances, and scholarships, and I was very passionate about that and uh, we had a very nice business after five years we we ended up selling it and it's still living and doing well along our journey with Cirque du Soleil we met um, Mandy the amazing Mandy Yip owner of Acrobatic Arts I feel like it was a blessing in disguise we crossed paths and she asked me to teach a class for her students at her studio little did I know it was a little audition and If I knew it was an audition, I would have been very nervous. But uh, I had my little son Jackson, who was six months at the time. So I I accepted to teach, but I had to bring him with me because I was a full time mom. Tim was head physiotherapist on the show at the time, was curious. She asked if she could take notes. And I taught research of acrobatics because I had then moved on to study coaching at the National Circus School after my um, Cirque du Soleil days as an artist. And she loved it. She said, I, ha- I have learned so much in this, I think it was two hours than I have learned in years. She had notes and notes of my class. Right after that, she had asked me if she could offer me a job to be the Australian division manager for acrobatic arts. And little did she know, my husband was Australian and we were moving to Australia in the next month. It was amazing how it all happened. So So inspiring, and I was kind of worried about work going to Australia. And this to kind of, uh, I had a job now going to Australia being a full time mom, and I was very excited. So that's how my journey started with uh, Acrobatic Arts. And I am five years now in the business. And I'll let Tim introduce himself, but he um, joined in after two years of me running it as a physio consultant and co-division manager. But since then my journey with um, learning the acrobatic arts ways, the philosophy, I've been contagious with spreading that vibe of safety and progressions. And I've created my own syllabus called Aerial Arts and it's duplicating the acrobatic arts system step-by-step teaching teachers Everything they need to know, but on an aerial hoop off the ground. So um, I'm very excited to be partners with Acrobatic Arts for that. So, yeah, I think that's my intro. Megan, your story is such an epic one. I just want to go back
0: a little bit. You mentioned that when you were young, you saw Cirque du Soleil and said, That is what I'm going to do one day. And then you were accepted to the National Circus School. But what was the part like in between that? Obviously, it just didn't happen overnight. There must have been some hard work and dedication involved.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I tend to miss that. (laughs) Um, So being, um, I'm going to use the word workaholic. I was a young workaholic and I was addicted to getting it right. I struggled to learn in school with reading and writing, but I never struggled to learn choreography or to learn a skill. Um, My practice and efforts that I put into learning how to do a handstand, I felt were way more successful than my practice and efforts to learn how to do a math uh, math equation. I never seemed to do that math equation the same, but that handstand was always the same and getting better and better and better. So (laughs) I put my work ethics into um, training at home. I made these rules with myself. No one told me to do this, but if you think about how many times you walk in your kitchen in a day, maybe thirty to hundred because it might be in the the passing of your bathroom. My rule to myself was every time I step foot in my kitchen, I have to do a handstand. And I did. And then i I all of a sudden could handstand. <laughs> um, and my dad, when I was really little, taught me determination. He said, the strongest man in the world looked in the mirror and flexed. And I was like, okay, I need to look in the mirror and tell myself I can do this. And so I started doing things in front of the mirror, like my, my Y scale, my bow and arrow, my leg holds, all these things to see how I can get it better and better. So that was uh, that was one little thing I did in between in the country, there's a stop sign and it's about it's about a four minute drive home from that stop sign or maybe two minutes, but it's a long 15 minute run. So my dad would would always say, let me out and I'll I'll run home because it was my cardio each day. I always added these nice little challenges for me. I I really liked doing it. (laughs) I think it's good
0: for teachers and students to know that these things just don't happen that that you actually really set your mind to it. And I know I've taught some courses with you and you call it the elite mindset. And I believe that you can achieve anything when you have that mindset. So thank you for sharing that. And Tim, your turn. Let's hear about you, your background and how you ended up with acrobatic arts.
2: Sure, hi Lorraine. Um, so I uh, grew up just East of Melbourne in Australia. Um, in a place called the Dandenong Ranges, which is actually a national park. So I grew up surrounded by trees and surrounded by the forest in a really beautiful area. And um, I started playing music and learning music from a very young age. So um, I started piano lessons when I was five and then um, went through, started voice and vocal lessons um, around 15 um, and then self-taught guitar as well, sort of in my teenage years. And um, I was lucky enough to go to a school that had a really strong theater program. Um, it was a private school with a, a fully equipped theater on campus, which was just amazing. So I did a lot of musical theater through high school, so all the way from year seven up to year 12, and ended up sort of uh, playing the role of Jesus in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. Superstar in year 12, in our year 12 mm-hmm. musical, which was kind of cool. And with my music background, I was playing in rock bands and you know singing and playing guitar and things in school bands. you know. And then after grade 12 or year 12, I went on and studied physiotherapy at university in Melbourne. And uh, I always had that sort of interest in the arts and music kind of in the background as I was studying this quite sort of scientific academic pursuit with physiotherapy. Bunko, the Cirque du Soleil show uh, had come to Melbourne around 1998. Which was earlier on but i remember seeing that as a teenager and just being absolutely blown away by this circus which wasn't using animals with people just getting launched through the air off this russian swing you know which i just couldn't believe what i was seeing in in 1998 and then um when i was studying physiotherapy the lion king came to melbourne as well and i went and saw the the broadway production of the lion king and i I remember sitting there at the end of the show flipping through the, the program And i got to the back and i saw that there was a physiotherapist on the team for the lion king and it was like this life-changing moment where i was like oh my god that's what i want to do like i'm studying physiotherapy that's that's it that's exactly what i want to do and so i actually reached out to the australian ballet who are based in melbourne my home city and um just with a sort of a keen interest interest in learning and you know a really positive open approach they invited me to come and do some sort of volunteer work during my studies and it was a four-week block and I learned you know and really applied myself and learned as much as I could um, based on my studies my sort of background in theater and then adapting all of this new knowledge from the ballet world and so off of that four-week block I then got asked to be a physiotherapy assistant which was a paid role you know and it was a Um, you know, sort of a a lower paying job as a a physiotherapy student. But again, I was in there helping sort of treat and work with the dancers. And then the the cool thing really happened was when I graduated physiotherapy, um, I actually then got asked to start straight away as a full-time physiotherapist with the ballet, you know, and I was 23 years old. So it was a really epic opportunity. And um, Sue Mays, who is the head physiotherapist there, really took me under her wing and um, I was almost sort of her protege and she just, you know, flooded me with knowledge and experience. And at the age of 23, we went off touring all the way around Australia constantly, like it's a full-time touring company. And we went to France and England and China and various places as well. So off the back of that, in 2009, I joined Corteo, which is a Cirque du Soleil show, and toured Japan with them. And that actually came about because I was at a medical conference in Florida, in West Palm Beach, and I was speaking. I was young. I was probably 24, I think, at that time. And I was speaking at a medical conference called the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. Um, And I met the head physio for Verakai, in Florida and she connected me with sort of, you know, people at Cirque du Soleil. And so I made that connection there. And and then off I went into it with Corteo through Japan and then Kidam through South America. And then we moved back to Montreal and I was lucky enough to get the post of the head physiotherapist overseeing the rehabilitation of injured artists in Montreal at the headquarters of, of Cirque du Soleil. So, you know, things just kind of grew and sort of built from there. And, and I really believe that it, it always comes back to a positive attitude, a continuous um, dedication to learning and growth, you know, and just willing, being willing to sort of jump in. To anything really, and always be out of your comfort zone, you know, because I've I've pretty much lived outside of my comfort zone for the last <laughs> 10, 20 years of my life. But it's it's resulted in some really, really awesome things, you know. So then just to, to finish up the story, um, after working in Montreal, I then got posted as the head physiotherapist for Curious and was the the sort of first physiotherapist on that show from day one of creation, you know. So myself and a colleague um, Chad. We built the emergency response protocols and how to kind of rescue all of the artists from all sorts of precarious scenarios on that show. Um, and then we went off touring around North America and then as Megan mentioned, we were in Calgary performing Curious. The Big Top was set up there. We met Mandy there through a sort of a common contact and then that's how we made the connection with Acrobatic Arts. Yeah, it's it's been a really great, a great run and um, we genuinely love what we do and uh, it's so exciting to be now part of um, Acrobatic Arts.
0: It's so great to hear, Tim and Megan. Your stories are are similar in the fact that, you know, you both saw something and knew exactly then and there that you wanted to do it. And at the same time, life takes twists and turns, and then magically you end up sort of where you want to be. And you both embrace it, it sounds like. It really, you know, makes my heart swell because uh, you're such a wonderful couple together as well as apart. Once you met Mandy and sort of started learning about acrobatic arts, what drew you to the company and what, what about the syllabus resonates with you?
1: So much about the safety, how it's a progressive system, how it explains and portrays a step-by-step base and it makes sense and it works. The system has been practiced for years and I was very impressed and right away, I believe that this um, syllabus, if anyone has a dream to be a circus performer and all they have is a dance studio to grow up with, if they practice the acrobatic art syllabus, it will get them up to a standard to be able to audition and be ready for an audition for uh, a, a national circus school or a circus school to help um, coat their acrobatic ability with performance and theater and music and everything. So I saw that being an artist and an athlete when I did the course, I was very impressed because for me, I wanted to fix my weaknesses as an artist and an athlete as well. But also as a teacher, I loved all the tools and help that acrobatic arts has to, to provide for us, to make us feel confident in our classes. My challenge as a teacher was, I had never taught beginners before because I made myself up to the elite athlete. Ever since I was 15, I left for Montreal. I taught beginners in my childhood and I was always a demonstrator. But from that moment on, I would would be with elite athletes all the time. So if I was teaching them, I was teaching them something that they didn't know that I knew, so dance and choreography and how to count to the beat of the music or transitions. And so my, my challenge was learning how to teach little ones again and acrobatic art sets it up so precisely and it helps you follow the syllabus. And even now the preschool program, I did it over the first uh, lockdown and now I love it because I I know what to teach my kids instead of teaching them how to do a neck hang on a hoop or something. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I would not make them do crazy dangerous stuff, but Um, it just makes me think outside of the box because my mind was always only elite athlete. So it provided me so much as a as an artist and what I share with my fellow students and then as a teacher as well. That's what I love about it.
2: Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, as a physiotherapist, honestly, the I would say that some of the, the best lessons that I've learned over the years of being a physiotherapist and some of the greatest and most useful knowledge has been from coaches. And I think that as physiotherapists, we are we study so well the anatomy and the pathology and the injury and the tissue mechanics and, and biomechanics and all of these things. But taking that step to be able to implement all of that theoretical knowledge into something that's practical and relevant for dancers or for any sporting population that you're working with, whether it's soccer, football, whatever, it's 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 another sort of skill set, you know. And so for me, working with coaches on Cirque du Soleil, ballet coaches and teachers at the Australian Ballet, and now working with coaches at Acrobatic Arts, it just speaks so much um, sense to me in the sense that it's so progressive-based, piece by piece, building dancers up in a really balanced way that makes them less prone to injury. Um, And there's just such great wisdom in that, you know, that sort of training method, you know, someone who I've always thought was really cool and uh, inspiring in the world of dance um, medicine has been Lisa Howell, because I think she's done a really fantastic job at adapting um, sort of sports medicine and dance medicine knowledge into something that's really practical and useful for a wide population of, of dancers and dance teachers, you know? So that approach I think is, is really built into the system of acrobatic arts and I think it's it's fantastic. Another thing is that when I'm working with dancers or acrobats, I actually use the pieces of acrobatic arts syllabus as a rehabilitation tool, you know? So again, we will often learn um, general exercise, but then Converting that into dance specific or acro specific exercise for rehabilitation is again, sort of, you know, the next level of things. And I really think that acrobatic arts spells out a really beautiful um, acrobatic specific rehabilitation tool as well. So that's, I've actually started using that over the last couple of years.
0: That's wonderful. So you both uh, like the syllabus and now you're teaching the courses. You are also co-managing together. You are the division managers for Australia, New Zealand and Asia. Why don't we tell everyone how your 2020 started off in
1: January? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, so for Acrobatic Arts, our biggest tour of the year is the January tour, because that is the summer in Australia. Tim's family has been going on holidays in a little town called Malakuta for about 30 years. He's grown up with that. And we had done it four years in a row where we just grab a tent and we go with the kids and we camp for two weeks and celebrate New Year's there and then go on to our acrobatic arts tour. This uh, specific one, uh, it scared me so much because the bushfires that actually you might have seen or heard all over the news were in the town of Malakuta that we were in. We were there just having a holiday and it was 46 degrees Celsius outside the morning that we woke up and Tim knows our family's Canadian so we're not used to that heat. So he said, Meg, today we're gonna go and spend a water day at the beach. So we packed and it was already super hot at nine in the morning. So by 10 in the morning we were out having water play all day we got in the car and drove home. And then all of a sudden we heard alarms. The alarms were telling us we had 10 minutes to pack everything up and go to shelter. So that one road was knocked out with bushfires and trees and everything. So no one could get out. There was nowhere to go except for the water. So together as a family and all of our camping family and friends, we decided to go down to the beach, uh, a beach called Bedka Beach. And what we did is we set up tents and uh what we could. We just had our mattress and all the the kids and us just slept on the mattress together. (sighs) We woke up at one or two in the morning and we just saw a glare of fire coming towards us. It was um it was like the calm before the storm, but the painful goosebumps because you knew something was about to happen. Then we all went back to sleep and we woke up to a crazy sand storm of tornadoes of sand. And you know that sand could spark and create its own fires. I just learned that being in that experience. We had a firefighter friend of ours who was on holidays with us. And he was brave enough to go up to the town and discovered that there was two spots that people went to. And we were all straggling behind, stuck in this windstorm. Um, And so we had to bring as much as we could. We left half of our stuff there. And we had to walk through like hip deep water in Australia, the paranoia of all the deadly animals. I was like, I'm like this Canadian, super stressed. Tim would probably tell the story way calmer. <laughs> that was very scary for me. Tim had the kids and was like, come on Meg, we can do it. And I'm just focusing, getting through the water. And we got to the cinema and it was, it was a scary moment too, because since we were at the beach the night before, all those people were in the cinema. Everyone was drenched. There was a lot of elderlies with oxygen um, and just fear in their eyes. Everyone was just laying down. So we actually had to walk over bodies. The local cinema was playing Frozen at the time and Happy Feet. So like very icy, inspiring moments for the kids. So it was really good. They had something playing. Tim and his dad were minding the door, just helping out with the door, because if you open it, the windstorm would come in. It was black and we didn't see daylight from this moment on because the fires were were there. After that, the firefighters circled around the cinema and they were hosing down. And so ash and gray water was coming down. So we were now covered in uh, ashes um, because it was so hot in there. Cause we're in, there's so, I don't know how many people were in that cinema drenched in sweat, just waiting. And people were getting angry and agitated And the kids were like exhausted. I was holding them, sitting down. And I just said to Tim, we're not ending here. What is our plan B? And he said, "Um, when I give you the go, you grab Georgia, I'll grab Jackson, and we're going to run for the water, which was about 20 meters down the hill. And I said, okay, that's a good plan. So all we need is us and we're going to be safe. So I had that in my mind. And just a moment after that, the firefighters were about to call everyone to get out because they couldn't handle fighting the fires anymore. They were getting so bad that they all came to the shelter um, and tried to protect us. And they were just about to tell us to go. They were, they were on a standby, I think, four-minute standby to tell us to go. Um, but then they're calling it the godly wind. Um, some kind of wind came in and turned the fire the other way it got as far as it did so close to us. And then it turned. Yeah. From that moment on, we knew that, um, the fire was going in another direction and, um, we were going to be okay. So I stayed with the kids and Tim ended up going out and helping the firefighters put the fires down. They were running buckets of water. Cause they're, I don't remember their hoses, couldn't make it or something. So that was the whole two day experience of the whole fires. And then we were stranded there for seven days. We couldn't get out. There was so much happening. They sent 1100 people in in a Navy ship, but because we had kids under five, we were deemed most vulnerable. So they were telling us to wait for an airlift. We, I think tried five or six attempts to evacuate, but the fires were so bad and the smoke was so bad, it wasn't safe. Six or seven days later, we ended up getting airlifted by Chinook helicopters from Canadian Army. (laughs) The irony of that. Um, And I'm so happy that we were safe. It was definitely uh, a scary start to 2020. So then we ended up doing our acrobatic arts tour. Mandy flew to Australia and she was with us training um adjudicators and uh she came to Singapore with us to premiere in our Asian countries the acrobatic arts tour was successful even though the fires were there and as soon as we got back to Canada there was crazy ice storms and snow storms Um, we were happy to have ice (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then soon after we got back we got back February soon after that March COVID hit and The rest is history. (laughs) So yes, it has been a very, very intense year.
0: (laughs) I can't even imagine what you went through with the fires. And believe me, we are all so thankful that your family is safe, but you are right, Megan. I am sure you were thinking that's the worst thing that could happen to us in 2020, and then the pandemic starts. And now we are still dealing with COVID and the ups and downs of restrictions. How have your divisions been coping with that?
2: Um, Look, I think COVID has affected so many people worldwide throughout 2020, and now pushing into 2021. It has obviously affected people's ability to travel and move around, as well as gather in groups. You know, we're all pretty familiar with that now. And so um, a year ago, or just over a year ago, so much of what we did was focused on classroom, physical classroom groups, you know, and covid has, I think, pushed a lot of companies to sort of revolutionize themselves and reinvent and and pivot into other things that are are more manageable. You know, and I I really think that one of the great things that's come out of that for our company is um, moving things online, you know, and offering an option to be online. We still obviously continue to run our in-person courses and we're still very passionate and enthusiastic about that. But the opening up of online module one courses, for example, and also offering online exams um, has actually made it much more accessible to a a wider range of, of teachers to become involved with acrobatic arts, you know, so a lot of rural or, you know, studios that are far from city centers have a lot greater availability to choose their dates for exams, for example we are hosting live online module one courses and we're having teachers that are joining us from not only australia but also new zealand singapore hong kong um we've got some some contacts in india now as well so it's the internet you know has really kind of opened things up to a more of a a global market which is actually a really good thing that's come out of all of this
0: wow it sounds like your courses are running still, which is great, and you've figured out a way to help the teachers. Uh, what would you say is the most common thing that teachers say about
2: your courses? The most common piece of feedback that we get is the teachers love how progressive the syllabus is and how focused on injury prevention the syllabus is, you know, because we're flooded these days with social media, with TV shows, with so many things that that students and kids can access on the internet. and um, you know, we really believe that it's it's better to take dancers through a safe progression of skills and only try things when they're ready for it, rather than just throwing a trick because their friend did it or because they saw it on the TV, you know? And honestly, that's it's one of the fundamental principles of a program like Acrobatic Arts. And I think that that's probably one of the top pieces of feedback that we get is that safety element.
0: I do hear that a lot. It's nice to to see that that's worldwide feedback. We're just going to wrap it up a little bit here. If you could give teachers one piece of advice moving forward, what would it be?
1: No matter how much is blocking you or how many doors are closing in front of you because of the pandemic or because of trauma that's happening in, in, the, in the world and in your life, there is still light at the end of the tunnel. Everyone, we're all so talented. We have something inside of us to be able to come up with a plan, come up with something that works for our agenda. So no matter how cloudy it gets, you're, you're still going to see the sun.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I sort of echo that in the sense that, you know, just keep keep the faith that we are going to get through this, you know, and we will be able to get back to it at one point. You know, it's pretty cloudy at the moment, and it's pretty challenging for for countless teachers and, and studios around the world. But we will get through this, you know, and keeping the positivity, pivoting into new projects that you can, that you can get into, which then makes your world even more colourful and more interesting when we, we do end up coming out of this, you know. Um, but just hold on tight and, you know, we'll all get through this together eventually.
0: Well, Megan and Tim, as always, such a pleasure to talk to the both of you. I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren. What an amazing journey Megan and Tim have had so far. And if anyone is interested in learning about the fantastic aerial Art Syllabus, keep your eyes open. It's coming soon. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.